Welcome to the Sermon MP3 from Lawson Heights Alliance Church. This is October 24, 2021, and we continue our series called A Flourishing Life. And this Sunday's message is all about helping your friendships and your workplace flourish. May God bless you as you listen. Well, as we are into this series today, um, we, we live in a day and age where if you are feeling like your life ain't flourishing, I've, I'm feeling like my life is flourishing uh, this, it's been a busy year. We've, we've lost four people in our family. Uh, we've had two new births. Uh, we've had a wedding. And uh, there's been a lot happening. And our life is busy. But in the midst of it all, it's still flourishing. And it's, it's, we're rejoicing. But we live in a day and age where if your life ain't flourishing, you don't have to look too far. You can, most people uh, go to bookstores and they get the self-help books off the bookstores. Some of them go to YouTube, they watch videos on YouTube, or, or maybe they buy into a course that they've seen on Facebook uh, about how to make your life flourish. But listen, I, I want you to know that your life and its flourishing... What do they have to do with the most important question that you could ever learn from church? Sort of what we've been talking about this last couple of weeks. Well, the most important thing that you and I could ever learn anywhere is that, namely, God is love. Would you say that with me? God is love. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, God is love. So turn with me to that passage this morning. We're going to begin there, and then we're going to springboard into another passage. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And the reason that truth, that God is love, is able to make your life flourish is because of the other truths that surround that statement. Let's read it here. I'll read it to you. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. Now these verses describe what we've been talking about in this series. We we have this new dynamic that has happened to us who believe. See, if you're a Christian, this is a picture of how God sees your life. You now share life with the God of the universe, because God is in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Isn't that awesome? I mean, what, what a revolutionary thought. Verse 16 says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And because God is in you, he is as present and engaged in every part of your life network, in every sphere of relationship and activity that you are, because he is in you. And that means that you become a representative, a witness of the God of love. Because you've witnessed his love, you now get to be a representative of that love to your life network. In fact... You may be the only thing of God and his love that some of your friends and co-workers will ever get to see in their everyday life. And that's why, innately, every believer wants two things in life. I really believe. Number one, of course, they want to know God personally for themselves. And number two, we want everyone that we know and love to know the love of God personally for themselves as well, right? Last week, we looked at the family sphere of our life network. Today, we're going to look at our friends and coworker networks. So if God is love is the most important idea in the universe, and we know that it is, and we know that we are supposed to be God's representatives among our friends and among our coworkers, then how come we have such a hard time sharing God's love 
among them. I mean, think of the news that you and I, the news items that you and I share with our friends and our coworkers just this last week. Why is discussing things like COVID and vaccines and Trudeau and what Biden did in this last week so much easier than talking about the love of God? We all want to talk about it. We want our friends and coworkers to know God personally and to know his love, but not all of them are open to talking about this most important truth. I'm sure you've experienced that. Maybe a few are, but not all. And you wish it was all. You pray that it is all. Well, I want to help you with that today, and I want us to turn in our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 15. John, chapter 15. We go from 1 John, chapter 4, to John, chapter 15. And we're going to look at verses 9 to 17 to begin with. If you have your sermon notes, it helps you to follow along. You can grab them at the door from the ushers. If you didn't get one coming in, just uh, make your way back there. All right, you ready? John, chapter 15. Verse 9 to 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in, my, in the name of my father, I will give you. This is my command, love each other. Now, as we move through this passage, we'll notice that this passage draws out three questions for Jesus' friends, the disciples and for us. But it also then leads to three other questions that every one of your friends and your co-workers are asking and needs answering. And these answers that God has given, I really believe, he has also made you able to answer. The first question Jesus wants his followers to ask themselves is this. This is your question, my question. Number one, am I willing to lay down my life for my friends and coworkers? Am I willing to lay down my life for my friends and coworkers? Because the question that your friends and coworkers, in fact, everyone asks is this. This is your friend's question. Does God really care about me? Does God really care about me? John 15, uh, verses 13 to 14. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command. No question about it, Jesus literally laid down his life for his friends, right? He died on that Roman cross to pay for the penalty of your sins and mine. The implications of these verses is that those who want to be friends with God need to be prepared to lay down their lives for their friends, whether it be their social friends in their life network or their co-workers. Now, as you read these two verses, do you think that Jesus is simply implying that being a friend means being willing to take a bullet for them, literally? That's an extreme possibility. But Jesus' statement, I think, is far more everyday than that. 
What he means is that as a friend, you need to put your friends and your coworkers' everyday needs ahead of your own. Now, think about what that's going to take to put your friends and your coworkers' everyday needs before your own. Think of it in terms of time and energy, in terms of mental and, emo- and emotional investment, maybe even in terms of financial output. It means being there for them when you have other things that you maybe want to do. Ah, now there's the rub, isn't it? When you really sit down and think it through, how much of a friend are you willing to be? Let's face it, a command like lay down your life for your friends stalls out on me because I'm kind of selfish by nature. And by getting his disciples and us to face the implications of this first question personally, we prove just how strong friends we are with Christ by our willingness to lay down our lives for others, to give up our personal time, our, our energy, our weekends maybe, our mental and emotional and financial resources maybe, just to meet their needs. If I want to be friends with Jesus if I really want to be deeply converted to his lifestyle, then something is going to have to happen in me, something that I can't muster up on my own, something that I think needs to be supernatural in nature in order to create in me a desire to be willing to lay down my life for my friends at a moment's notice or even to plan to do it regularly. See, because when you and I lay down our selfishness and our pride, that's when Jesus makes us able to answer our friend's question. Remember, our friend's question is, does God really care about me? That's what they're asking. And they, uh, they ask it, I would bet, just about every other day. Does God really care about me? It's a question, a universal question. Maybe it's, maybe it's even a prayer, even among those who don't really know how to pray. That every human being asks and needs answering, does God really care about me? Wasn't that the question that you needed answering before you took the leap of faith to trust Jesus with your life? It was for me. That question of does God really care for me? And, And how did you find out that he did? Let me just ask that question. How did you find out that God cares about you? Probably through someone in your life network told you? How many of you, for how many of you was it a friend that told you that God cares for you? Let's see some hands. Yeah, some? Okay. How many of you was it a co-worker? Less? Far less? For how many of you was it a family member that told you that God cares for you? Yeah. How many of you just tripped over that answer on the street somewhere? <laughs> Anybody? A couple? Clearly, family is probably the number one influence of one, one's personal faith in God, but friends and then coworkers are next. And think about how much time you spend with your coworkers, how much time you spend with friends, even in comparison to family. And God has made us, his followers, able to answer this for others on his behalf. That's the cool thing. We are his witnesses because we have learned that he first cared for us. 
And our witness is unique because something supernatural did happen. Remember I said earlier that I would need something supernatural to happen in me to kind of push away all the selfishness that I have in order to meet the needs of my my friends and my coworkers in order for them to know the love of God for themselves. And our witness is unique because something supernaturally did happen to us that did create a desire within us to want to lay down our lives for others. It's found back in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 to 16. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Friends, this God of love lives in you. And when you live in love, when you rely on the love that God has for you, you progressively will reflect that love that he has to others. Progressively, you will become the answer to the the friends and the coworkers that you see on a regular basis. You will become the answer to their biggest question. Does God really care about me? Because you'll see that answer illuminated in your life. It doesn't happen all at once, for sure, but by your daily reliance on God, by your moment-by-moment submission to the Holy Spirit and to becoming what Jesus is, and in a supernatural way, you will become God's means for answering your friends and co-workers' biggest question. Does God really care about me? Through you and through me, God says to the people in your life network, I do. I do care about you. And look at what your friend has done for you in my name. It proves that I do care for you. The second question Jesus wants his followers to ask themselves is this. Number two, this is our question. Do I know my heavenly father's business? Do I know my heavenly father's business? We have to ask ourselves that question because the question that our friends and co-workers are asking is this. This is your friend's question. What's the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of my life? John chapter 15, verse 15. I no longer call you servants, Jesus said, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends because everything that I have learned from my father I've made known to you. I remember when I was still exploring this whole Christian thing for myself. The teachings of Christ intrigued me. I thought that he was a pretty impressive person. But his followers, I thought, were kind of weird. But I wasn't too concerned about becoming like Jesus. I didn't even know that was possible at the time. I was concerned about becoming like what I thought Christians were. Rule keepers and mean. Rule keepers and mean. Now, I assumed that because I really didn't know any real Christians myself. I was just kind of parroting what other people said about Christians. I had gone through 17 years of my life, though, not knowing a single Christian to prove them wrong. 17 years before somebody told me God is love. Long story short, after becoming a Christian myself, I learned that it was it really was about me becoming like Jesus and not like other Christians. That that's the essence of the gospel. And I learned that claiming God as my heavenly father, as my own heavenly father, and Christ as my brother and my friend, also meant 
that I now needed to take up the family business. I learned that pretty early. Now, by becoming a, not by becoming a pastor, but becoming what Jesus was. He was a witness and an ambassador of the love of the Father. That's why Jesus came, right? So I, I figured if Jesus was my friend and, and, and my brother, then all I needed to do was to look into my Bible to learn what he did and to endeavor to do the same. As Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 15, for everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Why would he make something known to us if not for the purpose of us becoming like him? And when we listen to Jesus, when we learn that being involved in our Father's business, isn't that cool to just call that our Father's business? That being involved in his business brings us into what we typically in church circles call the harvest field, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. It's the business. And the harvest field, your harvest field, is your life network. And as co-laborers with Christ, we get to participate in the Father's business there. And what's the the currency of our Father's business? Love. Love. Friend, do you know your heavenly father's business? And do you own it? Because the question your friends and coworkers are asking is, what's the purpose of my life? And they will scour the bookstores and they will go all over YouTube and, and, and they will attend seminars and they'll latch on to the latest social activism trying to figure that out. But think through your own life network. Life network of your friends and coworkers. When you yourself know and live the purpose of your father's business, when you engage in his work, when, when they see you representing the father, they'll get it. They'll understand it. And that leads naturally into the third question for the friends of God. Number three. And this is our question. Am I bearing fruit that lasts? Am I bearing fruit that lasts? And this is your friend's question because your friends are asking this question of themselves. What's the purpose of my life? I mean, who at the end of the day, or that's supposed to be not what's the purpose of my life, that's supposed to say what does Does what I do make a difference? So you can change that up in your sermon notes. Does what I do make a difference? That's the question your friends are asking. I mean, who at the end of the day, or at the end of a life for that matter, wants to look back and go, well, that was a complete waste of a life. But you know what? Some do. You should see how many people scramble at funerals to try to find something that mattered in their loved one's life because they know at the funeral they're going to have to give a eulogy of that friend or family member. Everyone wants a sense of purpose. Everyone wants to know that their life and what they did makes a difference. The things they did day after day, that they made a difference in the grand scheme of things, especially to the people they're closest to. John 15, 16 to 17 Jesus said, listen, friends, I did, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. 
fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Am I bearing fruit that lasts? You know, you can be a great humanitarian or a wonderful philanthropist and you can give away millions of dollars to charity and social justice causes and all that does make a difference. But what if you don't have those kinds of resources? What do you have to offer? Many people working nine to five give themselves to their jobs. They, they come home then with a, a list of chores that they have to complete. They'll probably even spend their whole weekend trying to complete that, that honeydew list. And when all is said and done, they barely feel like they've had enough time to enjoy the life that they have. Now they're supposed to be a great humanitarian on top of all that in their free time. What free time? Have you ever had those thoughts? What answer do we usually give to people when they ask us throughout the week, our friends or our coworkers, when they say, how was your week? What do we usually say? Usually people say, busy, right? Think about it. Next time, just ask a bunch of people this next week. How was your week? Oh, it's busy, busy. Because they want to feel like they're making a difference. What's the answer to their other question when they get back to work on Mondays? How was your weekend? Oh, busy. And then they have to wonder, am I bearing fruit that lasts? They don't know if they have anything left to give. I'm probably speaking more about believers than non-believers. I want you to notice something about where this expectation of fruit is rooted, where, it's, where the bearing of fruit is rooted. And at the beginning of chapter 15 here, Jesus gives this illustration. He says this in verse 1. Chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will, give, it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The illustration of the branch helps us to kind of understand what it looks like to remain in Christ. Some translations say abide in Christ. Both are awesome. It's great. Good word pictures. But friends, the branch, which is you and me, the branches are only alive if sap is flowing through the main vine to nourish it, to nourish us. Without the life-giving nutrients of the vine, Jesus, the branch dies, dries up, and becomes fruitless. The the dried-up branch doesn't fall off, usually. The gardener needs to cut it away to make room for new growth. So to be connected to the vine means that the life of Jesus is flowing through us to the end result of producing fruit. Interestingly, we're not commanded here to produce fruit. We're commanded to remain, right? We're commanded to abide in Jesus, to abide in the vine, remain in the vine. But as a result of that abiding and that remaining, fruit 
will be born. Fruit by natural byproduct of life will come out and show itself. Chapter 15, verse 4, John says, no branch can bear fruit, or Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Fruitlessness, or fruitfulness, sorry, is expected. But it will naturally occur, making fruitfulness a proof when we remain in the vine. Something by which the Father tests for connection to the vine. He tests for fruitfulness to see if we're abiding. And it's a means for us to test ourselves too. The Apostle Paul explains it this way to the church in Corinth. He says in 2 Corinthians 13 verses 5 to 6, he says, examine yourselves. I I would probably say quite regularly. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So there he's talking about remaining in Christ, abiding in Christ, living out this Christ, this God-in-me lifestyle. If you see no fruit, you need to be concerned. But there's an easy solution to fruitlessness. Stay connected, right? Abide. Abide in the vine. Remain connected to Jesus. John 15 is purposefully nestled between chapters 14 and 16. And you might be going, well, duh, 14, 15, 16. But I, I think God in his, in his wonderful wisdom put chapter 15 in there to be book, bookended by those two chapters on purpose. Because see, chapter 14 is all about the promise of the Holy Spirit coming to believers and, and, what, and how he'll come. And chapter 16 is all about the work of the Spirit. And when he comes to indwell, what does he produce? What does he do? Both chapters emphasize the change of relationships that followers of Jesus would have once the Spirit comes to our lives. Of course, he's pointing to Pentecost, right? Because it's all about when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come. If I don't go, the Spirit won't come. So it's to your benefit that I go away, he says in 14. But it explains here, both chapters emphasize this change of relationship that takes place in us once the Spirit comes. It explains how the abiding happens. Now, we've discovered this already. We've, we've talked about this. We have this great picture in our, in our church. But... See, before you became a friend of Jesus, you thought of your life this way. I thought of my life this way. And you thought of it this way. And all, of, all around us are the many different spheres of activity and relationship that make up our life. I think of me. You think of you. And when I needed God's help, when you needed God's help, we would try to answer three questions for ourselves that we thought were most important. Does God really care about me? What's the purpose of my life? And am I making any real difference in the world? And to get the answer to those questions or to get God's help, somehow I got to try to get God, who is on the outside of my life, to get involved in my life somehow and to help me with my stuff, with my life. That's how you and I used to look at our life when we were separated from God. And that was the extent of our connection and our relationship with Jesus. But now... Because of the Spirit of God, John 14 to 16, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are now in the center of it all, indwelling us. Isn't that good news? Isn't that incredible, that thought? 
God is now in me by the power of the Holy Spirit. And John chapter 14 and 16 tell us that it's by the agency of the Holy Spirit that you and I are connected to and remain connected to Jesus, which then connects me to my heavenly Father. And boy, that changes everything about us, doesn't it? Staying connected to God isn't about me trying to beg God to get involved in my life. It isn't about me trying to muster up enough energy on my weekends to do enough to prove to God that I'm worthy of his attention. He's already involved if we've accepted Jesus Christ as in our personal Lord and Savior. In fact, he's closer than a brother, right? He's closer than any friend could ever be. And here's what the friends of Jesus for the last 2,000 years have learned about being a friend with Jesus. The daily immersion in the scriptures. Daily immersion in the scriptures. And cooperating with the Father. When he wants to prune something in us. Something that's getting in the way of our fruitfulness. We say, yes, Lord. Absolutely, Lord. Whatever your will is for me, thy will be done. I lay down my life for you. And we let him. We let him make the changes that are necessary. Maybe it's changes to my pride and my ego. Of course, it will probably always be that for me. Maybe it's changes to our schedules to make more time to show our friends and coworkers the love of God. It means having to stay dependent on the Holy Spirit to let him work in us and, and to keep pursuing us as we pursue him. We have to spend time talking to him. Jesus calls him our new advocate, our counselor, our teacher, our guide, this Holy Spirit. He longs to share with us, according to Jesus, the deep things of God. Do you know the deep things of God? I don't think, I don't think we could ever plumb the real deep things of God, but he invites us to try. We have to spend time talking to the Spirit. And if we're willing to spend the time to, to read the Word and to listen and, and to obey, all that will produce fruit in us that will last. And when we look at our lives, we'll be able to go, yeah, I'm producing fruit. I'm producing fruit. And better yet, the people in your life network, your friends and your coworkers, they're going to see that fruit being born in your life. They're going to see changes. They're going to see you humbling yourself. They're going to see you doing extra. They're going to see you working above and beyond what, what's asked of you at work. They're going to see you working above and beyond what's even asked of a friend as you visit, as you share what you have, as you go beyond what is normally asked. Fruit that God sees and fruits that our friends and co-workers can see happens as we invest ourselves in the love of God and we get to know this God who indwells us and who loves us from within. And it also means staying connected to other branches, staying active in the church. Come every Sunday. Come early on Sundays and hang out in the lobby and, and talk with people, get to know people. Right now, when you come early and as you, if you stay late, you can go into the gym and you can help pop, uh, pack shoeboxes 
and, and talk over, over the tables and over the goods and, and pray with each other about how these boxes are going to make an impact on little children's lives around the world. Join one of our many wonderful Bible studies here at Lawson where you can learn from one another and learn to serve one another so that you can serve better outside these doors. We have a new study that starts up this Tuesday at 7 here at Lawson. Get involved in all the different activities that we provide here at Lawson and God will enrich your life and you'll see fruit grow just naturally. And when God in love prunes something in you to make you more like Jesus, as you give of yourself, remember your friends and co-workers are going to notice. And as you spend time with the God of love, the Spirit will whisper to you, You'll find this happen more and more as you spend time with God. The Spirit of God will whisper to you, listen, I want you to go here. I want you to go there. I want you to do this. I want you to say that. You'll hear him say that. And people will notice because it will be acts of love. So three things. Am I willing to lay down my life for my friends? Do I know and own my father's, my heavenly father's business? And am I bearing fruit that lasts? These questions are kind of like the springboard or a catalyst to helping our friends, our friends explore the deepest, most spiritual daily needs that they have in order to come to know the love of Christ for themselves. I think we need to pause at the end of this message and spend a moment listening to the voice of the Spirit. So find yourself in a posture that will be able to hear his voice in this moment. Now I'll warn you, the Spirit may want you to prune something. Maybe he wants you to do something. Maybe there's a friend or a co-worker you're estranged from. What does he want you to do this week? Maybe he wants you to calendar time in God's word. And for sure he does. Because maybe it's been a while. Maybe you don't know how to pray too well. What friend in Jesus could you help or could help you learn to talk to God better? Maybe you've been saying no to God and you can tell by the lack of fruit in your life that that is the reason. What are you going to do? Let's stop and just listen to the voice of the Spirit.